Morning, everyone. How you doing today? Good. Good upstairs? I hear it's better up there. Is that right? Um, good to see. What you don't know, sometimes if you sit upstairs, what you don't realize is there's about the same number of people sitting upstairs as downstairs, which you only really see if you're up the front here. But uh, wouldn't it be great to kind of meet each other at lunch afterwards and chat? See these people, you say, hey, have you been to King's before? And they'd be like, yeah, we've been for three years sitting on the balcony. And uh, it'd be lovely to mix, wouldn't it? So, um, good. Well, um, I'm going to talk about giving today. In fact, I'm going to share a message about giving. Um, And uh, if you're new to Kings, and if you're investigating Christianity, and your biggest fear is that Christians always talk about money, I just want you to be reassured that this is the one Sunday of the year that we actually do this. And you've just happened to have come on that Sunday. So, uh, sorry about that. Come back another week. But we are going to teach from the Bible. But I just want to highlight a couple of really important things. Because Kings is a family, right? And families talk about the the stuff that families talk about. And money is one of the things of life, isn't it? And I just want to highlight a couple of things in this brilliant um, brochure that Lisa produced for us in the office, uh, which summarizes something of our vision as a church, but also some of the way we spend money. Whenever I ask my wife, Julie, how, you know, I ask for feedback when I talk about finance and money, and I said, how did that go on Sunday? She always gives me simple feedback that it could have been a bit shorter. Um, so I'm just going to be very short in terms of my overview of this. Three really brilliant things to understand. If you could put the, the first chart up, please, Dave. Last year, £401,000 was given to King's Church. We don't have any external backers. We don't have any people who are bankrolling us. We don't have people from overseas contributing to make this happen. All of that money came from this family called King's Church. Isn't that amazing? There's the grace of God at work. And we don't have super wealthy people in King's, to to my knowledge, but we do have many, many people who give systematically and faithfully and generously again and again and again. And we're so thankful for that. What a brilliant, brilliant figure. Thank you so much for being a part of that. The second thing, um, just to note, is very exciting. We finished the year with a a slight surplus. I don't know of any other church that finished last year with a surplus. (laughs) Just a little one. It's not enough to pay for my private ministry jet. Um, Just to clarify we would never ever buy a private ministry jet for anybody in this church. But hey, isn't it it true in your family or or your household that if you've got more coming in than you've got going out, you can just get on with life and it's peaceful. If you've got less coming in than you've got going out, you just have to rethink all the time. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? Such a brilliant place to be. Thank you so much for your care and your provision in that. And just the third thing, just on the next chart, please, Dave. This is how we spent money. We spent £380,000. And um, uh, and, uh, just want, I mean, the the main cost of a church is obviously staffing. That's very normal. But the next biggest expenditure, as it were, is this area we call Ministry Beyond Kings in the faint grey writing there. A fifth of what we spent money on last year was spent on nothing to do with kings at all, but rather ministries and projects right across the world, right here in Edinburgh from Bethany Christian Trust to Safe Families for Children, caring for those in need, to caring for Ukraine refugees fleeing the war, caring for those people in Poland. 
and also planting churches across the world. One in every five pounds spent was spent across the world and outside of kings. I think that's a wonderful thing that says that God is helping us to be a source of generosity for many, many people. So well done, church, and thank you for your generosity. Now, um, a, a few weeks ago, uh, maybe three weeks ago, we, we highlighted, you can take that one off, uh, yeah, that's great. A few weeks ago, we, we highlighted our vision uh, as elders, we, the, and we used this phrase from Isaiah 54, that God's calling us as a church to lengthen and strengthen and spread out. And really, it's the great commission of Jesus, in other words. It's to go and make disciples of all nations. In fact, it's the calling of every Christian, and it's the calling of every church. And we're so relieved that this isn't the unique vision of kings. This is actually the wonderful vision of the church of Jesus in all of its shapes and forms all around the world, and here in Scotland. And just to, to cherish and love another church family here in Scotland that's had a really tough week this week. Let me just tell you something really encouraging about the Free Church of Scotland. Because they've been in the news a lot, association with Kate Forbes, who's got a bit of a hammering for her Christian faith in the last week. And they themselves, by association, have been called all sorts. They've been called a sect. They've been called uh, American fundamentalists. That's got to hurt. <laughs> and in that, to be honest, they're just quite a traditional denomination. In the, predominantly the highlands and north of Scotland, a hundred churches... And they love Jesus dearly, and they preach the Bible very faithfully. Let me tell you something encouraging. They've got 100 churches. They're planting 30 churches at the moment. Isn't that amazing? In fact, by 2030, they'll have planted 30 churches. They've planted 15 so far. And they're planting them all over the central belt in some of the poorest communities of those areas because they love people. God is doing that through that congregation, through, through that church family, and he's doing it through every church family that is faithful and loves Jesus. And he's doing it through us as well as we seek him and ask for his help. So here's some of the things that we uh, said that we're looking to God for to, to help uh, to lengthen, strengthen and spread out. We want to see more local expressions of his mission right across Edinburgh, starting with a Granton Alpha course. We'd love to see more things like that initiated. We want to see a, a debt. Uh, service started. Uh, Guy and a small team of people are going to be launching that in months to come as we care for the needs of this city. Uh, we're thrilled that we're now working in a hub of three churches here in Scotland with new ground, and we're investing time and money into that hub of churches, believing that in time that will enable us to plant churches together. And so uh, this year, we're going to be setting aside about £10,000 to invest in future church planting because we believe that's on the agenda for us as a church family and for us as a hub of churches in Scotland. To do that, we need to raise up leaders. We need to not just spread out, but we need to strengthen. And we've been running the Grow course. A number of you have been benefiting from that and enjoying being trained in, in head, hands and heart, in skills, knowledge and character and growing as a Christian so that you can be more useful to God in the times to come. We're strengthening through a church weekend away. We're, uh, we're also looking to employ a King's Kids facilitator, realizing that we need to just keep what we do on a Sunday morning here strong in order that we can keep releasing gifts, in order to keep spreading out and growing. So that's some of the things we're, we're, we're prioritizing as a church this year. Uh, we've drawn back on other things that we felt were lesser priorities for the time being. And yet, 
for all of us, costs are going up, yet that, re that results in a, an increase in about £1,500 a month of income that we need to see those things fulfilled. And uh, that if you'd like to contribute to that need at all, if you feel God's stirring you, then I'd encourage you to take some time to think about that, and we'd love you to be able to do that. You can see how you do that in the finance brochure. Please take this finance brochure home, put it on your fridge, you can put it in your toilet, you can put it in your car, don't read it while you're driving, please, but do take it and read it, and uh, enjoy the encouragement of it, and think about a response that you might give. You see, what my experience of the Christian life is this, that lengthen, strengthen, spread out, spreading out and strengthening, it always requires lengthening, it always requires stretching. And there's three areas that God calls every Christian to stretch in as part of our growing discipleship and love for him. And these three areas are prayer, service, and giving. Prayer, service, and generosity. And if you're a Christian, you'll constantly be, you'll feel the tension in those areas. There's a prayer meeting, ah, oh, but I'm tight on time. Push through that barrier and stretch. Or serving when you don't feel like it. You say, well, I'm going to serve anyway. It's a stretch, but it's a way of growing in your Christian faith and character. And it's this particular one I want to take the rest of this morning to talk about. It's the stretch of generosity and giving. So we're going to, you can put your finance reports down because we're just going to look at the Bible now and see what God says about giving. Um, and in particular, to ask you to evaluate your giving to kings amongst the many ways that God would have each of us excel in generosity. So let's talk about giving. And uh, first of all, Romans chapter 12, it talks about the gift of giving. So in Romans 12, there's a whole list of gifts that different Christians have. And this is one of them. He says, we have different gifts according to the grace given us. If your gift is giving, then give generously. Isn't that wonderful that there are certain people who God has especially gifted the gift of giving to? Certain people, you just love doing this. Before breakfast, you're thinking about how to be generous and how to share with people. That's not all of us all of the time, but it's a wonderful gift. And, and in the words of Paul, then let me encourage you, if that's your gift, I want you to understand that if God has blessed you with resources, that's not a bad thing. That's not because you're an unholy person. It's because he's blessed you with the ability to excel in this gift. The gift of giving. Funnily enough, if you have that gift, you, you often find it hard to receive. You often find people give you stuff and you don't quite know what to do with it. It's like, oh, I just feel a bit embarrassed about it. Because the joy you have is in giving and sharing with those in need. Now, that's not the full story, because that'd be a bit of a weird message if I was just to say, well, there's a few people here this might apply to, because actually, in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 7, Paul's talking to all the Christians in a particular church in Corinth, and he says to them, since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. So imagine the picture, you've got some Christians in that church, and some of them are saying, you know what, my real thing is knowledge, teaching. That's my gift. And you've got other people 
He was saying, well, I'm more of a faith person. I like prophesying and praying for the sick. And he said, well, that, isn't that great? He says, please make sure you excel in all the gifts. <laughs> Young people, if you're under the age of 30, sometimes you can find your life dominated by a set of constraints which you think, oh, well, that's not really me. You see other people, oh, that's not my personality. That's not my character. Jesus would say to you, excel. Excel in the gifts that God has for you. And he's not limiting you to one gift or two gifts. He's saying, you know what? In everything. In everything. That's the standard that God has called us to. As well as particular grace gifts he gives to you. Sometimes I find when I'm operating and enjoying certain gifts God has given me. And I'm beginning to think, oh, this is great. I'm enjoying this and I'm doing this. And then I just find I begin to slow down. And I feel like, well, I, I thought I was really moving in these gifts, and I just feel like I'm moving slightly slower than I was. And it's almost like a bungee rope is attached to my back, and I'm sort of moving, and it's just getting tighter. And I, I look over my shoulder, and it's almost like God is saying, well, that's because you forgot some of these other gifts. And actually, I, you know, stop just pursuing those ones. Make sure these other ones catch up. Paul says to the Corinthian church, see to it that you also excel in the grace of giving. Make sure, he says, here's a big one that many Christians will hold back on and forget about, and it will stop them moving forward in other areas of their Christian growth. So uh, Jesus talked a lot about money. Um, in fact, th there's two parables that probably undergird most of what he said, um, and you can read them in Matthew 13. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. Both of these parables that Jesus told teach about somebody who found something of such superior worth that any other earthly possession simply wasn't worth holding on to for the sake of that treasure. That's what it is to become a Christian. That's what it is to know Jesus. Do you know, if you know Jesus here today, you are richer than the richest of kings, even if you have no material wealth at all. That's what those stories are teaching. That protects us from two scenarios where Christians can go regarding money and giving. One of those is tokenism, that we can think of generosity and giving as being like spare change or throwing a treat to a dog. Say, oh, there you go. That'll keep God happy. Well, what a ridiculous outworking of that understanding of the grace of God, of understanding the value of Jesus. He's not a hairdresser who you tip if he does a good job. Well done, Jesus, you saved me from hell. Here's a tenner. <laughs> How ridiculous. No, he's reprioritized all our thinking about all material wealth because he is worth more than all of it. It makes us keep a light touch on things. It's not tokenism. We don't tip God. Neither is it a sort of thing that some of the early church struggled with, which was asceticism, which is this. They regarded all material stuff as bad and money as bad and, and Christians shouldn't have any money and they shouldn't deal with money. And 
clearly the issue in these parables that Jesus taught was is to do with priority and seeing what is truly valuable. You can only excel in generosity when you've experienced it so lavishly. Maybe you're not a Christian here today. Here's the message for you. It's not to give money. It's to experience the grace of God, which changes your life so powerfully. Now, uh, when we preached about vision, we, we highlighted just very briefly at the end three words that we felt God was giving to us as elders to characterize this season of of spreading out and enlargement that he was putting before us. And these three words were courage, obedience, and faithfulness. And so I thought, well, let's look at the teaching of giving in the New Testament under these three headings of courage, obedience, and faithfulness. Um, And I thought of skydivers, I don't know why. Just... There we are. Anyway, so, um, so let's start with courage. When you think of courage stories in the Bible, you, you'd probably be quickly drawn to David and Goliath, or Moses and Pharaoh, or, or Deborah leading the people of Israel uh, and, and into triumph. When it comes to giving, you think, well, what are we really looking for? And in each story of courage in the Bible, what you find is this, that there are um, the, the, the somebody, in every story, somebody is doing what nobody else is doing, and often they're doing it at great personal cost to themselves and with remarkable boldness. So if we apply that criteria and look for New Testament stories of courageous giving, there's two that immediately spring to mind because Jesus draws attention to them. So let's read the first one. Mark chapter 12. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, This poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. That's courageous, isn't it? How about this one? Matthew chapter 26. When Jesus was in Bethany, in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume, which she poured on his head as he was reclining at the table. When the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, Why are you bothering this woman? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for my burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Jesus calls the disciples over to see the woman giving the two tiny coins. He insists that this story of the woman pouring perfume on his head should be told all over the world. 
Because both of these acts speak of courageous giving. Here's some things to understand about courageous giving. It's not measured by worldly metrics, clearly. Here you have some people giving very bold gifts. Some rich people putting in large amounts. And Jesus says, that's not bold enough. That's not courageous enough. That lady with the coins, that was it. Meanwhile, the disciples, when the woman pours perfume on his head, they get annoyed at the wrong thing. They said, well, Jesus, what a waste this was, because they could have, she could have sold that perfume and given money to poor people. They misunderstood the metric that Jesus was looking for. You see, see giving, God, but courageous giving is first and foremost for Jesus. And it's worship. And in fact, Jesus positions himself opposite the temple treasury, right in the woman's face, and right in the rich people's face. He's close enough to see the size of these coins, and he's close enough to see how much money is left in the wallets of the rich people to make the assessment that he made. True giving is to know that Jesus is watching because it's worship to him first and foremost. It's based on God's evaluation, not human evaluation. It's not about the amount raised, but by the spirit in which it's given. Courageous giving often looks like it's wasting money on Jesus, or it has very little significance. But God says it does. Let me ask you the question today. How would you rate your courage levels in the area of giving. Let me ask you, do, do you see giving as a financial transaction or as a worship transaction? Somebody once said, giving isn't God's way of raising finance, it's his way of raising children. It's about devotion to Jesus. Let's be those who grow in courage. Let's be those who grow in obedience. That's the next one. So um, God would have us become ever increasingly responsive to the leadings of his spirit and his word to be generous, open-hearted people. So we read a story in Exodus chapter 35. And it's the story of the tabernacle being built and they needed resources to build the tabernacle. And it's an unusual story. Uh, we read it, I'll, I'll read from it. Moses said to the whole Israelite community, this is what the Lord has commanded. From what you have, take an offering for the Lord. Everyone who is willing is to bring the Lord an offering of gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, fine linen, goat hair, ram skins, dyed red, and another type of durable leather, acacia wood, olive oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and breastpiece. I feel like counting the offering in those days was a whole lot more fun. <laughs> Verse 20, when the whole Israelite community withdrew from Moses' presence and everyone who was willing and whose heart moved them came and brought an offering to the Lord for the work on the tents of meeting, for all its service and for the sacred garments. This is a rare moment in Old Testament history, in the Old Covenant, it was a covenant dominated by law and rules, and generally people, the Israelite people who failed to adhere to those laws. They couldn't keep the commands. 
here's a rare moment because actually God says to them, he says, well, it's a free will offering. I'm not requiring it. He says, if people want to give, they can. And something remarkable happened that they began to get stirred. In fact, we read that word. Those who are willing and whose hearts moved them. God began to soften their hearts to be responsive to this need. And the interesting thing that happened, we, if you were to read a few verses ahead, Moses had to call time on the offering and say, please stop bringing any more stuff. He says, they had, the people were restrained from bringing more because they already had more than enough to do all the work. Here's what happens when you're a soft-hearted person who is responsive to God, that you get more soft-hearted and more responsive as a gift from God. You know, Pharaoh, in, in the book of Exodus, he, he hardened his heart and his heart became harder and harder and harder. But the converse is true, that when you are soft-hearted, when you ask the Spirit to soften your heart and you respond in obedience to what he prompts you to do, you just find yourself becoming more and more and more generous. What was rare in the old covenant became commonplace in the new covenant. In Acts chapter 4, you read that the early church had no needs because whenever somebody had a need, somebody would sell something and bring the money to make sure all the needs were met. Nobody asked them to. Nobody called a special offering. It's just they were responsive, spirit-led people. If you were to read the main teaching of 2 Corinthians 8 and 9 on giving in the New Testament, you read these words pop up again and again. Overflowing joy, the privilege of giving, uh, sincerity, eagerness, willingness, um, deciding off your own bat to do it. It's free will. It's grace. But as we allow the Spirit of God in this new covenant to stir our hearts, so he enables us to be generous. 2 Corinthians 9 verse 7 says, For each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. In this new covenant, the command to give isn't accompanied by a threat if you don't, but a blessing if you do. Luke chapter 6, Jesus said, Give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Sometimes that blessing that you get is material. Sometimes it's financial. Sometimes it's intangible. Sometimes it's spiritual. Sometimes it's immediate. Sometimes it's later or even eternal. But here's one thing I promise you, that God, that, that you will never outgive God's generosity towards you. There was once a, um, an inventor in America. His name was uh, uh, Mr. Letourneau. And he invented giant earth-moving machinery, those giant diggers with the huge shovels back in the 1920s. And um, he made loads of money. He was a Christian. And he ended up just giving away pretty much all of his money, all of his wealth that he'd earned. And he, he said, I just, I just love giving. And somebody interviewed him about his approach to giving. And uh, he, he said, well, he said, this is my principle. He says, he says, I shovel the money towards God, and he shovels the blessing back to me. 
He says, it's just that God seems to have a bigger shovel. Here's what happens when we give. God promises to give back to us. Are you allowing space for God to stir you in this very practical area? I remember when I, I was in a meeting once where they were taking up a special offering. I was back in my 20s. And I just started earning money. It was quite an exciting stage. And, and I had my checkbook with me, because that's what you did in those days. Anybody remember what a checkbook was? <laughs> Has anybody here never seen a checkbook? Oh, this is good. Okay, I'm not too old. Fine. Um, and uh, anyway, I'd, I was just writing my check, you know, in that bit before the offering. And, and, and I, I'd, I thought, I'm, I'm going I'm to roll the, the boat out here. I'm going I'm to, you know, put in a generous amount, because I'm earning money now. And this scripture came to mind about um, God loves a cheerful giver. And I, and I wrote the amount, and I felt pretty good about it, to be honest. And then, as I was just sort of worshipping, I just felt the Holy Spirit say to me, wouldn't it be fun to put another zero on the end of that? <laughs> and it wasn't a hard decision, because worshipping Jesus, right? So, so I did. I, I put the zero on, and I did feel cheerful. I felt so cheerful. I felt joyful because I'd prioritized Jesus. Now, fortunately, there was enough money in the account to clear the check. <laughs> but be, let's be those who are led by the Spirit. Romans 8, verse 14 says, Those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. That's, some, that's a characteristic of you and me, that our generosity is Spirit-led. Do you allow God to stir you to obedience in that way? So standout giving, that's courage. Spirit-inspired giving, that's obedience. But I must talk to you about this final word because those first two ways of giving by themselves will, not, will remain largely unfruitful in your life unless you get hold of this third principle of giving, which is faithful giving. The other two will have relatively insignificant impact. You might be a one-hit wonder like Chesney Hawks. No. Yeah, okay. Uh, he was a one-hit wonder. I am the one and only. Yeah, okay, fine. I'll just get back to the message. Let's rather than go to 1980s uh, hits. Yeah, good. Faithfulness. <laughs> Compared to these other two words, obedience and courage, faithfulness sounds kind of dull, right? And, um, you know, if you've got a, if you go on a first date with somebody, you know, predictability isn't the kind of thing that people generally think is the most exciting thing. There's a, there's a geyser in uh, Yosemite National Park. A geyser is like a geothermal explosion of steam that happens. You get them all over the world in different places, and some are enormous and magnificent. There's one in Yosemite Park called Old Faithful. And tourists from all over the world go to it. Do you know why they go there? Because it goes off every hour. You don't have to wait long for an explosion to happen. Every hour, Old Faithful just keeps doing its thing again and again and again. Do you know you will be more generous in your life through systematic faithful, generous giving than you ever will be through one-offs. Let me prove that to you mathematically. You ready for this? Let's say that you are earning the minimum wage from April, which is £10.42. 
And let's say you work 37 and a half hours a week between the ages of 18 and 67, which is the current retirement age. Now, let's say this would be sacrificial giving. If you were to give 10% of your living wage and set it aside and give that away. Do you know, over the course of your lifetime, so that would be one pound and four P for every hour you worked. If you, if you set that aside, over your lifetime, you'd give just short of 100,000 pounds. In fact, it would be 99,000 pounds, 563. Now, what you can do over a lifetime, who has 100 grand to just put in an offering bucket? Not many, but over a lifetime, you can do that. You can have that kind of generous impact on people through faithfulness. In fact, the Bible commends this kind of faithful giving. 1 Corinthians 16, verse 2 says, On the first day of every week, each of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up so that when I come, no collection will have to be made. It's unglamorous, it's systematic, it's regular, it's under the radar. Perhaps that's what Jesus had in mind in Matthew 6 when he said, when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father sees what is done will reward you. For Julie and I, we, like, like many, we, we've practiced over many years just the, the biblical principle of tithing, of setting aside a tenth of any income that comes into our household and we set it aside and we give that money, we've always given it to the church that we belong to and then on top of that we allow God to prompt us to to give to different uh, areas of need as he leads us and we've also tried to teach that principle to our children so age seven um, they'd begin to get pocket money which is about roughly when they begin to understand how much things cost. And so at age seven, so we've got four kids. So when we started with Jack, who's now 20, nearly 20, you know, he'd start at age seven and he got 70p pocket money. And we'd teach him very diligently. So we'd count the coins out on the table and we'd say, so, so here's 70p. We're going we're gonna to just take 7p and we're going to set it aside and we're going to put it in the giving jar because God loves us to be generous and to honor him with our wealth. So, you know, the kids would understand this and we'd periodically give the giving jar money away to something that we chose. And, uh, of course, by the time you get to the fourth child, you know, all the explanation, nobody's bothering to explain things anymore. So Ben would just routinely tell his friends, age seven, that he got 63p pocket money, (laughs) which they found a little strange. (laughs) But... Anyway, uh, I've been trying to persevere with Ben recently. He's 12, and he gets about 10 pounds a month now. And he's got his own bank account. So I, I said, Ben, I think it's time you set up a standing order. Because that's what the others have done. Just, you know, with the small bits they have, they, they, they have a regular amount that goes out from their children's bank account to church or to other things that they give to. And uh, so I was trying to help him do the maths. maths. Ben is a maths genius. He gets A's at school for his maths. And, uh, but he's never really understood this thing of... You know, the 70p and the 63p and that being a tent. So um, I felt like I was coming from a cold start. And I said, so Ben, you've got 10 pounds a month. So let's say we were to set up a standing order for a tenth, 10%. What would that be? And he just looked at me strangely for a good 30 seconds. Then he says, don't know. (laughs) (laughs) 
10% of 70p doesn't sound like a whole lot, does it? 7p. 10% of 10 pounds when you're a kid. I mean, a pound, that sounds like a lot. 10% of some of the incomes that we have in this room would feel like a lot. But, you know, there's something wonderful about the principle of setting aside a tenth. It's such a great place to be because I don't have to overthink it. All I have to do is change the decimal point to figure out how much we are going to give. That's our way of growing and developing faithfulness. And when you take that decision, that's always a stretch. Let me ask you, how's your stretch going? Growth in our Christian life comes when we stretch. Let me, let me finish with one uh, final Bible story. and it's, it's the, Historically, it's known as the parable of the talents. Um, the, the modern translations have changed it to the parable of the bags of gold, because talents tend to be things like, you know, things you do on Britain's Got Talent and, you know, how to sing. And whereas talents in the Bible were money, um, it was a, a unit of currency. And here's the story. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but it's basically like an episode of The Apprentice with Lord Sugar. And he calls three people to him and he says, right. I'm going to give you some money, some of my money, and I want you to go and make some money with it. And in the story, he gives one person five bags of gold, one three, and one one. And each of them does something. The five-bag person goes and invests their money, the three-bag person goes and invests their money, and the one-bag person goes and hides their money. And then they come back into the boardroom. And Lord Sugar calls them to account, and he says, what have you done? And the five-bag person, the five bag person says, I've made five more. The three-bag person says, I've made three more. The one-bag person says, here you are, Lord Sugar, I've kept your money safe and sound. Haven't lost anything. Two people in that boardroom displayed courage. One displayed caution. The master was impressed by the ones who showed courage. You don't have to show a lot of courage in this area to be impressive. You don't have to be Bear Grylls or Wim Hof. You can just be an ordinary Christian who takes courageous steps with their stuff. Two people showed obedience. They did what the master asked them to do. And one of them said, I'm not going to do that. I've got a better idea. Two of them were commended for their faithfulness. Well done, good and faithful servant. One of them was told that he was lazy. That story teaches us that God is calling us to be those who live courageous, obedient, faithful lives. Let me urge you to be courageous, to be spirit-led in your obedience and faithful in your generosity. Please consider your giving to kings as part of that. God's house, I believe, should always be at the very center of our giving, as that's the picture you see in the Bible. It's what it means to be family and to take responsibility. But let me just finish by saying this thing, because I'm aware that there'd be people here today who you're just beginning to come to Kings or you're not yet a Christian. 
or you're, you're in a place where you're saying, I can't engage with this right now. I just want you to know how welcome you are here. And I want you to know that there's no entry charge for the kingdom of God. I want you to feel very free to drink the coffee and the tea when it's available. I want you to enjoy the lunch today free of charge if you'd like to. Enjoy the heating, enjoy the teaching, enjoy the ministry of this church. Enjoy everything here, even though it all costs money, because actually the gospel is free of charge to all of us. Giving isn't God's way of raising money, it's his way of raising your children. Here's here's my urge to you, don't miss out on a growth stretch moment as a follower of Jesus. Let's keep our eyes on his generosity towards us, which is the very thing that releases our generosity to others. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the generosity you have shown us in Jesus. Thank you for God so loved the world, he gave. He gave his only son. Thank you that you did not hold back for us, Lord. You gave us everything. So Lord, help us please to live lives that are free of the love of material wealth and love of the comforts it brings. Help us to find our greatest joy in Jesus and the wealth that he brings us. Lord, I pray, even as we reflected at the start, thank thank you for this wonderful church and the generosity that you are provoking in so many. We say, Lord, let that overflow more and more and more from thankful, courageous, obedient, faithful hearts. So, Lord, we give our hearts to you today afresh. Holy Spirit, come and help us. We can't do this without your help. We love you, Lord. Amen.